0: New books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Pauly. Sweet sixteen, Paul. Ooh. We hit
1: sweet sixteen. This is the episode where we lose our virginity.
0: Yeah, I think someone's gonna be touching our nethers.
1: <laughs> inappropriately. <laughs> hopefully. Or, yeah. yeah, hopefully inappropriately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not in a doctor kind of way that it's still uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> the doctor kind of way, <laughs> you know. I have I have this uh, great primary care doc, mm-hmm. and uh, he I he, I was having my my annual well man exam, mm. and you know he's you know doing all the checkup, looking at my ears, looking down my throat, all that kind of fun stuff. And at the end of the checkup, he says, "Well, it's time for the unpleasant part of the exam," and I said unpleasant what are you talking about you know you've been looking forward to this all day <laughs> <laughs> and you know he kind of laughs he's like okay you know drop i gotta you know check you for whatever down down in the the ball region you know <laughs> <laughs> and so as he's you know he, he gloves up and he's you know feeling me up down there and as he's as he's as he's doing it you know you can tell he's kind of thinking you know oh, does this feel right does this feel wrong you know and then he then i said to him sorry they the prettiest you've ever seen <laughs> nice. <laughs> he had to pull. He had to push himself away. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> and he says, "Well, they they are they are nice." <laughs> so, that's the kind of relationship I have with my primary care doctor.
1: Wow, wow! It's
0: important to have a medical home, Paul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Apparently, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have that kind of relationship with my doctor.
0: <laughs> you don't.
1: No, no. Actually, come to think of it, I, th- I don't think I've seen my doctor in a couple of years. I don't even know who my doctor is. That's I'm one of those types of people. Oh, Paul, I only go to the doctor when I'm sick, and even then, it's like, meh, whatever.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you can. I'm like a Scientologist, I guess. They don't believe in that kind of stuff, do they? I don't know. I probably offended somebody
0: by saying that. I- I'm sure you did. I- I'm I'm almost positive you did. I it apologize to any Scientologist <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs>
1: Like Tom Cruise, he listens to us every freaking week.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a huge fan of the show.
1: Number one fan. I would I would yeah. imagine he has posters yeah, or- of us all over his bedroom.
0: That's right. That's right. Which doesn't creep me out too much.
1: Yeah, this is this is turning into a creepy episode now that I now that we're talking. It
0: really about is already. I mean, it is already we are, you know, less than 3 minutes into the show and we've already taken that turn.
1: Exactly. We we have already <laughs> alienated 90% of our listeners who are squirming in their seats ready for us to move on to the next topic.
0: And the other ten percent of our listeners who are still listening kind of creep me out a little bit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually the ninety percent creep me out a little bit too.
0: So how much uh how much more about my balls can we talk about?
1: I think we should change the subject from your balls. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of your balls, okay.
0: uh-huh. this was an
1: expensive week for me. And was it, it? It was. And you know, because we're talking about your balls and creepy things such as that, um <laughs> I've it's it, the reason it's been an expensive week for me is because I have finally started planning and purchasing for my Halloween party. Oh yeah, yeah. See, you know yeah. your balls remind me of Halloween. So, okay.
0: well, I, you know, I see, I see the connection. Yeah, see, I mean, yes. My large jack-o'-lantern shaped balls. <laughs> jeez, it gets worse. My my <laughs> testicles of terror. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs>
0: Uh, at least we amuse each other. Huh? <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Halloween is a is a annual event. You know, at, at it's, your house. It's, it's 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 bigger than Christmas for you.
1: It is. It's supposed to be an annual event, um, but this is Halloween two uh, because Halloween one actually happened, I think, four years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, and ever since then, I was like, you know, next year, I'm going to do Halloween 2, and it's going to be... You know, the first year was like a mad scientist theme, mm-hmm. um, but it was really, ultimately, if you think about it, it was just kind of a bunch of shit I threw together. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to throw every Halloween decoration I have
0: out. Boom. Kind of like our show.
1: Yeah, yeah. kind of like our show. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, no structure. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, like it had a, a, a wall of bloody handprints, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was a great time. So I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this again next year. And then next year came when I was freaking broke. Mm -hmm. Um, and because we went to, uh, universal studios in October, uh, like we've done for the past couple of years. And, you know, it's hard to go to Florida and buy plane tickets and universal studios tickets and, you know, whatever the hell else you need down there. Um, and still afford a Halloween party a couple of weeks later. So, um, for the last couple of years I'm like I'm going to do Halloween this year and it always falls through because I always go to Universal Studios and I don't have enough money. Well this year I still don't have enough money, but I'm <laughs> damn it I'm doing it. So, you know, we we've been shopping for that. And you know, last night I was picking up the fake blood. And you know, I was like, "Do you have fake blood?" and he's like well do you want the capsules or do you want you know the 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 o- it looks like an oil bottle he's like or do you want the bottles i'm like i want the bottles and they really do look like oil bo- I mean, oil bottles they have like little measurement on the side and everything it's like ooh uh-huh. jackpot you know so i'm stuffing my thing with you know um, blood bottles i'm picking up uh it, it, Bloody razor blades. You know, they're fake razor blades. Uh, wow. They have fake broken glass that's covered in blood. Because the theme this year is the butcher shop.
0: I decided oh, okay. to go
1: gory this year. And uh, as we're walking out, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. They have two, they're like brown sacks that are kind of see through. And they have a bloody brain and a bloody heart in them. Uh, just oh, nice. Just, so I'm picking them up and I'm walking around with them. I'm just, like super happy. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm standing in line, and I look next to me, and there's, like, this six-year-old girl who's just, like, staring at me in terror. Because I'm just <laughs> holding these sacks of brains and blood and razor blades and broken glass and bloody handprints and everything. And she's just, like, looking at me, like, oh, my God. And her parents are, like, it's just a joke. It's all fake. <laughs> so, yeah, traumatizing children everywhere.
0: Well, and and that's really what uh, this season is about. Is about you know deep emotional scars.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. You know, thus your balls.
0: That's right. Well, you know, on the subject of traumatizing people, my wife and I met uh, after work last night. We met at the store and then headed home. So we had two separate cars. So, you know, my wife hops in her car and she goes, I hop in my car and I'm trying to catch up with her so that we mm-hmm. can, you know, be driving in tandem or something. Well, uh, I'm cruising up the, up the road and get to the stoplight and, you know, pull along my wife's car and she's doing something in the mirror. She's, you know, checking her hair or something. So she's kind of turned a little bit away from me. So I am all the way up in my window. And I'm, you know, leering at her and making suggestive gestures, and you know, little hand motions that would suggest, you know, let's do something really dirty. <laughs> and, and when she turns and looks at me, I realize this is not my wife. <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. And uh, the, the the woman just is stunned, and I immediately oh, and you know I start adjusting my radio, <laughs> <laughs> pretending that that never happened. And when the light turned green, I mean she rocketed away.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> this episode may be interrupted by a knock on your door from the sheriff, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or the, or that woman's husband, or
1: that woman's husband, because <laughs> she I'm sure she wrote down your uh, license plate number. I'm sure she did. It's probably easy to remember. Big head or <laughs> little head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh yeah, okay. so, you know, uh between Pauloween and I've begun the process dun 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 of catching up on my dark rain books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know, and most of those are still only in hardcover. So I picked up uh, I picked up a couple of hardcovers this week, you know, and so that's that's a little pricey, but you know, I want to be a little prepared, you know, a little bit familiar with the Dark Reign storyline since I've been out of the loop. Yeah. So you know, I'm writing about that on the site uh, for those who you know want to check out my thoughts. Uh, ideologyofmadness.com. Uh, just look for the stories that say Paul's reading Dark Reign. Uh, because I wrote about, uh, New Avengers, Volume 11 this week, which is the post-Secret Invasion issues of the title. And I just finished reading Dark Avengers Assemble last night, and I'll be writing about that next week. Um, I have mixed feelings about everything I've read so far. Really? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's all by Bendis, uh, but it's, it's a little uneven. Like, Mm -hmm. almost like he didn't uh, like the Dark Reign storyline either. Um you know a lot of the fun and banter uh just isn't as fun and bantery <laughs> as it used to be yeah uh and maybe yeah. it's just because it's a dark storyline but i don't know uh dark avengers was definitely hit or miss with me uh, i did enjoy like the last half of the book but it took a little while for me to get into the storyline i see so I yeah see. i figure we'll talk about comic books instead of balls and inappropriate gestures
0: well, I was all, you know, geared up for, for more uh, testicular topics. But, uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but maybe we should talk about something else that's terrifying, something else that's traumatic, and that's our Blackest Night update. <laughs> so uh, Green Lantern Corps, number 41, came out this week by uh, Tomasi Gleesman and Buckman. Indeed. And... Uh, I got to tell you, I was kind of bored in this, in this issue. Yeah, I mean, I hate to There's say There's a lot it, going on. Okay. There's a lot going on in this issue mm-hmm. as far as, you know, fighting and stuff. But I'm really kind of bored with the, the fighting of the Black Lanterns when uh, very few people have figured out how to, you know, defend against them. Yeah. And it's just kind of the – I feel like it's kind of the same thing.
1: It is. It feels like nothing is moving forward since – at least, you know, in the Green Lantern Corps books, it feels like nothing's moved forward since the first tie-in issue of Green Lantern Corps. Um, yeah. it, it's literally just the same book over and over and over again. We're going to fight some Black Lantern Corps, or, you know, some Black Lanterns, and we're going to fight some Black Lanterns, and we're going to keep fighting some Black Lanterns.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: uh, three issues of that is a little monotonous.
0: It really is. And, you know, there there are so many uh, books that are tied into this. I want to see a more robust story. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still enjoying Blackest Night, but this was the first issue in this series that I, in the core Black Lantern series, I should say, um, that I felt like we just weren't getting enough stuff moving. You know, I, I was like, well, I'm really not seeing anything here that I haven't seen before. You know, I didn't feel like there was anything particularly important in this issue, though I will say that, um, the pages with Arisia Mm -hmm. were particularly good. And I thought that it was an interesting choice that, you know, Arisia, who is, you know, uh, who really kind of wanders around, you know, the space lanes in a little, uh, cheerleader skirt, basically, (laughs) uh, winds up being able to beat three Black Lanterns all on her own. You know, and I, so I thought that was, that was an interesting choice of, of how she got there. Um, and with the exception of one I – mean, all the art is good, but I want to I uh, point out that there is one panel that I thought was just extremely uh, well put together. And it's the one where uh, Kyle and Natu are standing together and Natu is right behind him with her fist out and kind of you know, wiping, wiping the hair off of her forehead. I really like that panel. I don't know what what that what it is about that, but uh, there there is a, a posture to both of them uh, that is just very nice there. But other than that, I just the book is very nicely done. But I it didn't grab me. Yeah, you know, I read it I, and I got to the end of it, and I didn't hate it. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying it's a terrible book. And obviously, uh, the uh, the uh, pen and inks are just just beautiful as they have been throughout this series. But the story just didn't grab me at all. Yeah. And, you and know... Oh, go ahead. Who are these kids? Who are these kids?
1: I think those are, are the, these kids the kids who were from, killed by... Um, remember
0: there was that uh, crib? Wasn't that's it? what I was going to ask. Are these the kids from crib? That was what I got out of it. Okay. Because that's what I was thinking, too. But I, I was like, well, you'd think there'd be something that would uh, kind of connect you. Yeah. But I didn't see that.
1: You but... Know, you know, and You know, we're not saying the book is poorly written... Or poorly drawn, or poorly colored. We're just saying it was. It it, it feel it felt like a fill. It felt like filler. It
0: just Uh, exactly nothing moved forward.
1: Nothing happened. Just same old shit we're used to for the last couple of issues.
0: Yeah, it it, uh, it felt like a spacer. You know, it's like oh, we're not ready to have the next big reveal yet. So let's just have a bunch of fighting, and you know, really, I. Fighting is is cool at times when it when it's a you know a big climactic thing, but when all you're getting for for the last several books is just fight after fight after fight, it gets boring, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm ready to start seeing some some real big development, and I thought we were getting that out of the last Green Lantern and Blackest Night main book. I was like, okay, well there you know we really hit something here. But it, that doesn't seem to have caught up to Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, and, and that's what I found rather surprising. Because we've made the comment that, wow, these books are really flowing well. And this was the first one of the main series that I felt like just really didn't flow well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it. you're right. Because things have moved forward. You know, there's been a lot of fighting in Blackest Night and uh, Green Lantern. But things have happened. You know, Mongol got taken down. You know, there's the Star Sapphire storyline. More seems to be happening in those books than in this book. And maybe it's just because... I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that things kind of got planned out. Like, Johns has these storylines, and Tomasi has these storylines, and these storylines just all happen to collide. Not collide. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Coexist in the (laughs) same type of... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think it's just... A limitation of the title, whereas Green Lantern yeah. jumps from uh, Hal Jordan, Sinestro, Star Sapphire, um, John Stewart, you know, has all those characters that are in different places. Green Lantern Corps, everyone involved in the Green Lantern Corps storyline is all in the same place. So I think maybe it's just a limitation of the way the storyline was split. Like John Stewart, there's no reason that and others can't alternate between fighting this issue and John Stewart's storyline the next issue um, instead of trying to fit all of that in Green Lantern which to me it feels like we're getting too many breaks in between storylines you know we're getting like something will happen and then we won't find out for another two issues what happened next because it jumps to a different storyline in Green Lantern um, whereas in this you know it, it could have I think it could have flowed more smoothly had they just kind of you know, alternated as to what happened in the books.
0: Yeah, I, I I just think I think the uh the pacing is a little strange. I think But uh you know, for for a story that's as big as they're telling, as as largely as they're telling it, um I think it's re- re- it's rather uh, meaningful that this is the first issue that we've said, huh? The pacing seems funny. That's true. That is true. You know, so so I mean, I, I think we're still giving the series high marks. Just this this one book uh, didn't do it for us. Now
1: there is another book that didn't there was another book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there was another Blackest Night book out this week, and it was uh, Blackest Night Batman number three. Uh, Paul, what'd you think of that?
1: You know. This book was balls. I really hate to say that. <laughs> but I was all hyped. This was my favorite of the Blackest Night tie-ins. Issues one and two were fantastic. But issue three yeah. was just crap. I mean, what happened yeah, to all the supervillains? It's, it's, they got burned away by... Yeah. No, they just ran away. It just felt like... It just felt like... Yeah. Just felt like uh, I'm sorry, that was a spoiler. Um, <laughs> oops. But... It just felt like, you know, there was all this buildup, and the buildup was not worth it. it, it you know, the story is not finalized, so which begs the yeah. question, why did this require its own series for a story that didn't start in this book and didn't end in this book? Right. You know, it, it, it really just, it kind of pissed me off, because I was really looking forward to this one.
0: Yeah, I, this book sucked balls. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you. This book was really very bad. Um, the, uh, in fact, the the resolution to it, you know, the the way that that uh, Batman and Red Robin figure out how to suvi- survive their encounter with uh, the the Black Lanterns is as stupid as it can be. Yeah, I mean it. It is it is fresh out of a page of a 1950 era book. You know, and I'll go ahead and spoil it. So, you know, uh, fast forward for a minute and a half or so if you don't want to hear how this book ends up. But they realize that they they, they do not have the ability or wherewithal to uh, beat the Black Lanterns. So they send uh, – they call back to, you know, the Bat Bunker where uh, Damien, uh, you know, Robin mm-hmm. – sends the Mr. Freeze Gun to them via one of Nightwing's old flyers. Okay. <laughs> and so he gets the Freeze Gun and what they decide to do is they're going to freeze each other so that they no longer have a beating heart for uh, the Black Lanterns to, to zone in on. And so they're frozen in these great big chunks of ice and then, you know, Boston brand, the dead man, comes and frees them. About you know more than ten seconds after they've been frozen solid, so their hearts stop. I am. I, I was. I, <laughs> okay. So you know what about frostbite? <laughs> you know what about what about all the things that come with when you when you freeze your body solid? I mean, I, this was so stupid.
1: Yeah, it was almost like you know the resolution was essentially for people listening was like when Predator and Predator where Arnold wiped the mud all over him and the Predator yep. couldn't see him. That's what they were doing, except with ice. But
0: that was a better ending.
1: Yeah, but it made sense <laughs> that in That made Predator. sense.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. this is something that has not been illustrated before. And okay, you know, Batman's smart. You know, he, he could figure stuff out. And he figured out that by freezing, they can't, you know, track their emotions, whatever, whatever. Nonetheless, it was after three books, the ultimate resolution is, let's freeze ourselves so they can't see us, so they'll go away. It's like, I waited three issues to see the bad guys just fly away. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect anybody to die, really. Not, you know, not anybody important anyway. But, you know, I expected something, some type of resolution. Um, And, you know, the, the Black Lanterns, in this book, which it do something that we have not seen in any of the other books, by the way, um, is that they prey on Dick Grayson and Tim Drake's emotions. So like they make them either super happy or super sad. Uh, you know, uh, Dick Grayson's, the flying Grayson's get, uh, Dick Grayson, you know, performing, uh, the high wire trapeze act with them. And Jack Drake, um, Tim Drake's father, reenacts his death with uh, a an apartment that's, I guess, either torn out of a building and placed in a, in a cemetery, or the Black Lanterns yeah, built it in the cemetery. I don't know what the hell that was all about.
0: Well, and if you look at the edges of it, I mean, it's like they constructed it there. I mean, I didn't have the sense that they tore it out of somebody else's building just because of, of how neat and trimmed it is. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's you like know, they so rebuilt this. They rebuilt Jack Drake's apartment in the cemetery for Jack yeah. Drake to reenact his death, so that yeah. Tim could save him this time and get all gooey inside and happy emotions,
0: and inclusive of, of being under a great big circus tent. Yeah, and and uh, so and and I'm, I'm like, we've not seen we've seen we've not seen their ability to construct things. And if these are ring constructions like a green lantern can do why don't why aren't they all monochrome because you know there's color to the apartment
1: that's true, and I didn't get the impression that they were you know constructions like a green lantern construction. I really got the right. impression that they were you know they were you know just really handy with a black lantern hammer and nails
0: yeah i i got had the same impression i mean you know you look in the apartment and there's a microwave and a blender and you know uh a cupboard and all that kind of fun stuff. So, uh, I, it was kind of surreal in that, as the reader, I'm like, well, I don't know how this was done. And I know that you know some things you just forgive, but are they revealing that the that the Black Lanterns have a have a bigger power than we've seen, or is this just you know Peter Tomasi, you know? Uh, using some free license and and how he wanted to set this stage. And we're just supposed to ignore how all of this happened.
1: Like logic. We're supposed to ignore logic.
0: Um Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I I get that, you know, we're reading comic books about, you know, people who put on costumes and go out and fight crime. So, you know, there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that we're required to use as readers. But, you know, we have grown accustomed to – a certain degree of explanation about things that are on the set of, of, of the, of the story. And again, this would have been something that I don't think people would have asked about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that they would have just accepted this. But you know, I, I, I didn't get it. I just didn't get this at all. And I, like you said, the, the ending was terrible for it to be, you know, the third book of a three issue series and the resolution is, well, the bad guys ran off but we've got information on how to fight them now. So what are you going to do? Are you going to freeze everybody? Well, I guess you can, because at the end of Final Crisis, they just put everybody in a big bottle, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> they put everybody in ice trays. So if that's yeah. the resolution of Blackest Night, I'm done with you, DC. I am done with you.
0: <laughs> I just – I this book was so bad. Now, con- con- conversely, Batman number 691, see how we just segue into another line of books? It, it was like uh, –
1: he, we, we keep doing it, because whenever we have a good segue, it's like, see that?
0: Yeah, see that? This is
1: art. Art. A-R-T. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Batman number 691 was the book I was really looking forward to this week, because 690 rocked it hard. And I was not disappointed in this book. I really enjoyed this book. Um, it surprised me in a couple of ways. Um, the, uh, the scenes between uh, Batman and Two-Face were were really well written and i gotta tell you mark bagley has really gotten a hold of 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 the way to draw batman
1: yeah you know i we i I talked about the first issue and i felt the first issue had serviceable art but not great art the last two issues have had great art especially this one this one you know was very solid it didn't feel rushed it had some great stuff going on
0: there are some panels uh that are very reminiscent of Neil Adams uh, in, in these pages. I mean, and, you know, Neil Adams is, is has got to be one of the finest Batman artists around. And I'm not saying that it's a derivative work that, you know, Bagley's trying to draw like Neil Adams, but there is, is certainly a lot of uh, style, and uh, you can feel the power of Batman, uh, in these pages, and I just, man, I, I really, really enjoyed this book. I did, too. I only had one disappointment
1: in this book. Um, way back when, in the Battle for the Cal preview images, um, they had the Two-Face costume that mm-hmm. you see on the cover of this. Uh, it's the Batman yeah. costume, but it's split between red and black, um, right. You know, and it was obviously Two-Face in the Batman costume. And I think that was originally presented, and it was going to be an aspect of the Battle for the Cal storyline, um, and maybe it just didn't get fit in, I don't know. Um, right. so when I saw it in issue 690, at the end of issue 690, and that's not really a spoiler, because if you've seen the cover of 691, <laughs> it's there. Um, it, it's like, oh, they, they're finally bringing that costume <laughs> in as an aspect of the storyline. And, um, but it turns out to just be a hallucination. And I find yeah. it hard to believe that they would put it in a teaser image for a storyline if it was just supposed to be a three-page hallucination.
0: I kind of hated that it was a hallucination because I thought that that was such a a wild costume.
1: Yeah, I really liked the idea of the costume.
0: Yeah, I did too. Um, I did too.
1: But I mean, you know, regardless of other than that, I enjoyed the hell out of this issue. Um, Oh, yeah. It felt very much, you know, it felt like, and we keep saying this, it felt like Nightwing in the Batman costume. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is something we're not seeing anywhere else, really. Um. We saw a little bit of it in Blackest Night Batman at the beginning, uh, but primarily where we're seeing it is in this Judd Winnick Batman book, um, which I hope will continue in the Tony Daniels Batman uh, for the next couple of issues after this.
0: Yeah, this makes me sad that this is Judd Winnick's last book.
1: Well, he's coming back. Uh, Tony Daniels is just doing a six-issue series, (laughs) six-issue stint. Wow, that's
0: six months, man.
1: No, it's not. It's bi-weekly.
0: Oh, is it? Yep. So so it's just three months. It's just three months. Okay. So, okay. I, I, I feel better about that. Thank you, Paul. I, I appreciate you working that out for me. No problem. That's what I'm here
1: for. <laughs> I am here for you to work through your Tony Daniels-related issues.
0: So is Bagley coming back with Jed Winnick?
1: Bagley's not because Bagley's moving on to uh, JLA with James Robinson. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but- so he's, not,
0: he's only drawing one book for DC.
1: Uh you know I I don't is know right? it would be great if he would if he would do both I mean if anyone can do it it's Bagley. Uh Oh yeah. You know yeah. Bagley and John Romita Jr are probably the only guys I can think of other than Ryan Otley now um who can handle two books at the same time.
0: Yeah. Hey I got a question for you before we move off of Batman. Okay. Um second page from the from the back of the book there is an ad there. And it has the next generation of the most fam- famous superhero team in comics history, World's Finest, a new four-issue limited series by Sterling Gates and Julian Lopez, October 2009. Yes. I've not heard I've not heard anything about this.
1: Um, because, it, it, to be honest with you, it's, um, it's a World's Finest four-issue miniseries, which you just got from the ad. Um, but I, I think it's just, uh, it doesn't have Superman, it doesn't have Batman. I, I don't know what the storyline is that ties all of them together. Um, uh-huh. I think it's just uh, 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 sterling gates is a is a competent writer and I think he's writing the um upcoming kid flash series oh, okay. uh, so you know um and Julian Lopez is a decent artist as well uh, i'm I'm not a hundred percent uh I, I will probably pick up the first issue out of curiosity I, I can't say mm-hmm. I'm super hyped for the series because it doesn't really have a superstar team behind it and mm-hmm. really the the next generation that they've set up for most of the... you know, for Batman and Superman lately, I'm not really that... I'm not really fans of it. If you look in the ad, you've got... um, Batgirl, Nightwing, um, not the Batman Nightwing, but the Superman Nightwing, uh, The Guardian, Supergirl, Flamebird, and Red Robin. And really about the only character I like on that page is Red Robin. Right. Uh, You know, if they had shown Superboy and Red Robin. And, you know, I can deal with Supergirl, um, but I don't like the new Batgirl. Uh, you know, I, I might have been a little more interested. Um, but, you know, right now I'm I'm not super happy with the, the supporting well, cast that they set up.
0: And I have to say what I find rather telling about this ad is that there's no original artwork on the ad. Good point. You know, this book is releasing this month And all of the, you know, you've got clips of like all the characters that you just mentioned, and they're all clips from other work. And so there is nothing here for a book that's releasing this month, nothing here to show you what that book is going to look like.
1: Well, the impression I get is that they won't all be teaming up at the same time. Um, Like, I'm going to read the description of issue one uh, to you, which has gorgeous cover art by Phil Noto. after tracking down a threat to the Man of Steel and all of Metropolis, Red Robin was teamed up with the new Kryptonian Nightwing to end this mysterious threat and rescue Flamebird. Uh, but is it all just a red herring to distract the heroes from an even bigger threat to Gotham City and New Krypton? Be here to find out in this four-issue miniseries from writer Sterling Gates and artist Julian Lopez. So, I mean, I get the impression that each issue will have a new team, you know, like a new team. Dual team, Like, first issue may be Red yeah. Robin and uh, Nightwing. And the second issue might be someone else. But, uh, I mean, gorgeous covers by Phil Noto. I mean, they're, they're great. I mean, the guy's a great artist. Uh, I'll, I'll give the first issue a try. It's, you know, two ninety nine, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're trying to rip us off.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but before okay. we wrap up on Batman,
0: uh, oh, no, and move done. on to
1: Batgirl, who is, you know, who I just mentioned is one of the cast of World's Finest, the last... Couple of pages of this Batman issue set up for something really interesting, Uh, and I'm very curious to see where it goes. There's a, um, it's you know I don't know if I'd call it a shocker ending, but it's very surprising, and Mm -hmm. I hope it means something more.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that uh, it's it's setting up for something that uh, by the time Bruce Wayne comes back, he's gonna have a lot of splaining to do. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay, so, uh, Batgirl number three. Yes. Now, you have given up on Batgirl, as I recall.
1: I have, I have.
0: Because, we because you up. hate the vag. Yeah, I do. And, uh, I will say, um, that this was a fine book. It was entertaining to a point. However, it did not dazzle me. Um, There is a, you know, Barbara Gordon has been given uh, Stephanie Brown, who is now wearing the Batgirl uh, cape and cowl, a hard time. And she doesn't feel like uh, Stephanie Brown has what it takes to be the Batgirl. And – so yeah, you know, she's she's really been hard on her and whatnot. And so there's this big scene where Stephanie Brown proves herself and gets Barbara Gordon's buy-in. And then Barbara, you know, says, "Well, you know, I'll mentor you." Yada yada. Gives her a new costume, sends her out in the world. And two things. Number one, I mean, it was it was like every bad hero movie you've ever seen. It was just you knew exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. Wow. I mean, there was nothing at all surprising in this book. So, um, I mean, it's just like Brian Q. Miller just phoned this one in. Second, um, I'm not going to be picking up issue four, not because I've given up on the character, but because I just can't stand her costume. They introduced her new costume in this issue. And, you know, it's – vaguely reminiscent of previous Batgirl costumes, but she's got the little side panels in it like you see so much. She's got like one of those, you know, Rob Liefeld uh, thigh utility belt things going on. (laughs) And I just, and she's got some kind of baton that she's going to use to beat people with. And I'm just like, you know... There's nothing that seems particularly original about the suit, so if you're not gonna if you're not gonna create a a brand for this character that makes her stand out, you know that people say, like, oh, that's cool. I got to see that." You know, why not just keep her with the previous costumes?
1: Yeah, it's not. I like, don't understand uh, the neat the last Batgirl costume, which was I thought very original.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, and it certainly did suit Cassandra Kane very well. And what they did on on her costume is they kind of purpled it up so it's more like her spoiler costume. But her spoiler costume sucked. And so why why call back to a costume that wasn't particularly interesting to the eye and tie it to this? I mean, I would think that if you're going to make the spoiler Batgirl, you've got a couple of things you got to do. You've got to make it, you've got to, number one, make it appealing to the eye. And I'm not talking about drawn hot women. I'm talking about drawing a costume, a uniform that looks like something cool that, you know, is intimidating is, uh, uh powerful. You know, you need to see that. That's not what they've done here. Yeah. Second, I think everybody is pretty much agreed that Stephanie Brown has not been a particularly interesting character. So I think you've got to do something there. You've got to make her more compelling than, okay, she, you know, she screwed up in the past, she's going to school now, she's living with her mom, and she's going to fight crime at night. There is nothing about this book that is compelling and requires you to read next month. So you and so, finally
1: agree with me, and you're dropping it.
0: Sadly, yes, I'm dropping it after issue three. So that, that, that is, uh, my sayonara to the Batgirl. Aww.
1: Bye, Batgirl. So, we won't be talking about you anymore on and, the show.
0: And I feel bad about it. And, you know, I, I really was trying to give her a chance. Um, and I know, uh, Brian Q. Miller is a talented writer, but he just did not do the trick on, on, on this story. And this is one of those things I think happens more frequently with female characters than male characters is that they give it to somebody who really doesn't have a passion for the character because that's what really came out of this for me is that the writer really doesn't seem to care. Uh you know, I I particularly felt like he was just writing generic superhero story as opposed to writing something that is deserving of the uh the bat title. I mean here we are in a brand new world for the Batman. You've got Dick Grayson, who who is you know wearing the cape and cowl. Mm-hmm. You've got Damien being Robin. You've got uh, Tim Drake as Red Robin. You've got a woman as the Batwoman, which is you know the first time that's happened in Detective Comics ever. And then you've got Batgirl. So, I mean, you've got all these titles out there, not including, you know, uh, what is it? The uh, Streets of Gotham and uh, I forget the other title. Gotham but, City you know, Sirens. You, but Yeah. Yeah. But you know you've got all of these great you know uh, bat centric titles, and it's like they they gave this no thought. And that's what I, I I'm not just unhappy with the book. I'm disappointed in the book, and I'm disappointed in the folks who who developed it because it just didn't seem like they gave it much thought Aww. at all.
1: So, so Batgirl, I'm you
0: shame the- your family. That's right. Yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there you go. Well, you read another bat book because apparently dc can't release you know a bat book every week they've got to dump them all in the same week
1: yeah so i mean we've been talking if you're not keeping count blackest night batman batman 691 batgirl 3 and now red robin number five
0: yeah and i mean what the hell (laughs) (laughs)
1: um red robin number five you know i know aaron dropped this title i think you dropped it with issue one didn't you or did you stick with issue two
0: I went to issue two.
1: You went to issue two. I think it's getting better with each issue. um, Because I actually am enjoying it now. uh, Instead of trudging through it because I like the character. Um, Now, what we're seeing in Red Robin now is very similar to what we're seeing in Daredevil um, at the same time. Is that um, Robin, Tim Drake, is because of his ties with Ra's al Ghul, which began in the whole Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul storyline, um, he has been taken into Ra's al Ghul's organization, the League of Assassins, um, and he's kind of become a pupil of Ra's al Ghul and the White Ghost, and basically, um, his plan is to infiltrate the League of Assassins, uh, become a member, and take it down from the inside out. Uh, so, uh, I think it's a very interesting storyline. I actually really like the idea. Uh, it's not something, you know, that we haven't already seen a million times. We've seen it so many times before. Um, but I like that the series seems to have a little bit more direction. Um, because I was wondering how long they were going to milk the Tim Drake's trying to find out if Bruce Wayne is still alive. That doesn't seem like a good premise for an entire series. Right. Um, unfortunately, it does seem like that's completely been forgotten. Uh, And I think the reason for that may be, um, if you look at some of the, uh, it's on one of the DC Nation um, from the last couple of weeks, is that they're skipping Batman, or they're skipping Blackest Night in January because they, you know, not only did they want this skip month where they could release the dead titles... But they say that Blackest Night number seven or Blackest Night number six, whatever. I guess it's number seven, could not be released until Batman and Robin number six was released, or Batman and Robin number seven was released. So, I think it has something to do with the Bruce Wayne storyline. So I think maybe that's why Red Robin's getting off of the Bruce Wayne tangent a little bit. Maybe. Uh, but Red Robin number five. Uh, you know, it's the same team of Chris Yost and Ramon Box. Uh, this is Ramon Box's last issue. Um, next issue, Marcus Toe comes in as the regular artist, um, and it's also sadly the last issue with Francis Manapul doing the covers, because uh, I've really liked his covers, um, and this was my favorite of the bunch. But I did enjoy it. I do enjoy where they're taking Red Robin as a character, um, and I'm 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 going to continue sticking with it, uh, and I. I know Aaron dropped it um, and kept buying Batgirl, <coughs> but I'm going to stick with Red Robin, and I'm I'm curious to see where the story goes. Uh, however, the book does have a feel uh, to me that it is temporary. Um, like many of the Bat books you do feel right like now, they do feel temporary to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't imagine we'll see a Red Robin issue fifty. I will be surprised if we see a Red Robin issue twenty-five. I think whatever storyline they're setting up in the Bat titles will be resolved before Red Robin hits number 25, and I imagine we'll see a different title for Tim Drake than Red Robin. He even says in the book, um, someone asks him, why not just Robin? Why Red Robin? And he says, no, not until Bruce comes back. I won't wear the Robin costume till then.
0: So well, pl- well, well. Plus, it'd be very confusing. You've got Damien wearing the short pants now. True,
1: but we've got uh, three flashes now. Four flashes now. No, three, because we've got because <laughs> uh, it's already been announced that Wally West will continue being the Flash.
0: Right. You have got Jay Garrick. You've got Wally. You've got Barry uh, Allen.
1: Barry. Three yeah. flashes, all with the same name.
0: So well, and then you've got Reverse Flash. Yeah,
1: and you've got Kid Flash. Uh-huh. So you know i th- I, could, I you know Damien sucks anyway so i mean it, it would be okay with me if tim drake continued being robin but maybe in a darker costume uh the mm-hmm. red robin thing i don't know i think red robin's kind of a stupid name anyway so yeah but anyway well you know speaking of red uh, robin
0: oh no go ahead uh, speaking of red robin he he makes a good appearance in uh issue 3 of adventure comics the superboy title he does uh for for however much longer that happens um <laughs> I I have uh, made some comments before that, you know, um, Francis Manupol's art was a little hit and miss with me. Yes. Uh, And and I know that, you know, some folks just, you know, gasp when I say that. There is a page here, our panel here, where Superboy is calling Crypto down, the Superdog, Uh-huh. And he says, bad dog. And the look on Crypto's face... Is just perfect. I mean, I just think it's a perfectly rendered panel. Yeah. Um. I, I wouldn't mind having that blown up into a poster. I really like that panel. <laughs> not. I mean, I'm not even talking about the whole page. I'm just talking about that one panel because I see that look on my dog's face all the time when I'm saying the exact same thing. Bad dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was a very nice page. I actually rather liked this book. I did, um, too. I This... More so than the Wonder Wonder Girl story last month, this was really the conversation I was looking for in Legion of Three Worlds or a hint that this conversation was coming mm-hmm. uh, between Tim Drake and Superboy and I really got a kick out of it um i This is the first appearance of Red Robin that I've enjoyed. Um, I I really haven't gotten much out. You know, obviously, I I did not enjoy the uh, Red Robin uh, comic book and the appearances of Red Robin in the uh, uh, Blackest Night books. You're really not getting a bunch of character interaction. You've got "Ah, something terrible is happening. Respond. Yeah. You know. So, but this was one of the things I really like about comics. I know a lot of people read comics and they like the fight scenes. I get bored with fight scenes. I like the characters talking to one another. I like you know the characters moving forward. And there's a lot of that in this book. And there's a nice little heart to heart that that occurs between Tim Drake and Connor. And it it's just very well written. Uh, you know, obviously Jeff Johns knows how to write. And Francis Manupole visually told that story very well, pacing those panels so that you felt the awkward pauses yeah. and the you, you know the the emotional tension and strength of these moments. I thought this was superbly done.
1: I completely agree. I absolutely you know, Adventure Comics may be one of my favorite DC books being printed right now. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's got better characterization than I think any other book on the market right now, as far as these quiet moments, um, the wonder girl, you know, in issue two, this was, like you said, I enjoyed this conversation a lot better. Um, because this felt, you know, this felt like something moving both characters forward.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. I I thought this was very well done and yet (laughs) as well done as that was the co-feature,
1: the second Supergirls. feature,
0: yeah, was jarring, coming out of the yeah. You know, we have talked before about in the Detective Comics book how well the the main feature and the co-feature work together. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you're even though JH Williams the third has a very different artistic style than Cully Hamner, those two stories. Blend beautifully, and I mean you can you can go right out of you know Batwoman's fight with Alice and straight into the question story, and you don't miss a beat. You know they are they are very much the same theme. You know, and of course they're written by the same writer. Yeah, Graca. Well, you have a similar situation over here with Adventure Comics with Jeff Johns because he's the writer of both the main feature and the co-feature. The difference is is that the art is so very different. you, know, you got Francis Manupole doing the Superboy storyline, and then you get to the, the Legion of Superheroes story, which is illustrated by... And I'm flipping, I'm flipping. Illustrated by Clayton Henry, mm-hmm. who's very good, but the style is so different that, number one, you're completely... It's like hitting a brick wall. And number two, it's the freaking Legion, and I hated every page of this. Yeah. I read it. I read this thing through, and I hated every page of it. And all I can, you know, is it issue six where Jeff Johns leaves the title and Paul Levitz takes over? Yes, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, when Superboy leaves this title, I am dropping this book like a hot potato. I mean, the the one thing that I will be encouraged by is that I won't have to read. I won't have to buy another freaking Legion book, um, and I won't have to be exposed to it. Because while I know that there are people out there who enjoy the Legion and get a kick out of that, I I, I have finally, after 30 years of reading comic books, come to the conclusion that I am never going to like The Legion of Superheroes. It doesn't matter <laughs> who's drawing it. It doesn't matter who's writing it. I'm never going to like it. So I want them to stop putting co-features in things that require me to buy a Legion book when I don't want it. Because I, I tell you, I, I, it was a waste of page to me, for me. Uh, I would have rather have spent 2 dollars on a sh- shorter story. Yeah, and not have had had to be exposed to the Legion stuff because I just man, I, I just dislike it that much. And again, Jeff Jones, good writer. Um, the the artist for for this Legion story is a fantastic artist. I mean, I, you know, if you look at the pages, they're nicely done. I just couldn't stand the story. Couldn't stand the characters. I'm with you. So
1: I am with you. I, in fact, you know what? I didn't even bother reading it. I did not even bother reading. The
0: well, and I think that's the second month in a row you've not read the backup in that book.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I really just i can't get into it but i love the main feature so much um but like you said and like we said before um when paul levitz takes it over it's going to be a fully legion book um i think that's the impression i got uh because superboy is leaving the title i guess to get involved in the whole new krypton storyline um that's building up to their next big crossover uh so once Superboy leaves the title and you know it's so sad to me because it sounds like it was unexpected for Jeff yeah. Johns. Uh you know it, it, I it, you know I was reading an article or an interview with him on um Comic Book Resources. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how you know he had things planned and usually he's able to finish his storylines. But in this case, he was not able to. So I get the impression that it was not his choice to be taken from this and put on The Flash. Um, You know, I I don't know what the full storyline is there. I don't think we'll ever get it. But you can tell that there are so many little beats that he's setting up that aren't supposed to pay off for another couple of years. Like um, Connor's interaction with his uh, classmate whose name I don't remember, Simon. (laughs) Yes. Simon. Who, you know, they're setting up this Lex Luthor relationship with him. um, But I don't think we'll ever see it come to fruition. Um, Or if we do, it won't be for a while. Uh, It'll have been delayed, you know, or, you know, the storyline will entirely be sidetracked because Superboy's leaving Adventure Comics, and I don't think we'll ever see the storyline that Jeff Johns had originally intended when he started writing the title. Right. Because, you know, his, but well, the impression I get from him is that he plans from beginning to end these arcs, you know, these story beats. Um, he said he has a notebook that has a 40 pay, a 40 issue outline for an Iron Man series. He wants to write one day. So, you know, he writes, he, he gets these ideas and, you know, he didn't start issue one, not knowing where it was going to lead you know, yeah. maybe forty, fifty issues later. I I'm 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 very sad that we're not gonna see all of that come to fruition. Because well, it's that damn I, good.
0: And I read some comments from him and I can't remember if it was on Twitter or somewhere else, but you know, he he was essentially saying what what you're saying right here is that, you know, he plotted this story, is very excited about the story, and it's just gonna have to go on hold until such time as he has time to write it. Yeah. And I, I just think that's sad. Um I think you're right. I think this was unexpected, and it was just kind of looking for the best place for Paul Levitz to be. And Paul Levitz is very talented. I'm kind of sad that he's picking up the Legion book because I think he's picking up the next book that gets canceled.
1: Yeah. I think you know, you know I, you just can't what, succeed with the Legion. I don't think you can.
0: Yeah, I think the Legion ought to be a special event book. You know, Legion of Three Worlds, for instance. I bought all of that. Because of the, because of its importance to the, uh, the DC universe, because of the talent involved, you know, uh, and, and while I, I, I give them crap for how long it took to come out on that last issue, that was actually a very good story. Still didn't know who more than half of the characters were yeah. after, you know, however many books. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that the Legion is better suited for special event books, do them as a miniseries. Um, have them guest appear, but I think it's a mistake to bring in this gigantic horde of characters that you know. Quite frankly, very few of us know much about. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I know that there there are stalwart Legion fans out there, but uh, and and you know, for those guys, do the minis. You know, and and you can support those minis. I think the the ongoing series for for the Legion is, is a lost cause, and I I just feel bad that. I, I I hope I'm wrong. I hope that there is a, a there is much more support out there for what Paul Levitz is going to do. But uh, I, I have a concern. I think the book will will be canceled shortly thereafter,
1: which is a shame because Adventure Comics, you know, in the short time that it's been on the market, really kind of sh- deserves to be one of DC's mainstay titles. You know, I, I like the Adventure Comics, Action Comics, Detective Comics. I like that idea. I just, uh, I don't like the idea of Adventure Comics starring the Legion of Superheroes. Just, uh, just right. a Legion of Superheroes title. I like the idea of Adventure Comics being Superboy's title. Um, and I don't know. Maybe it's just because these first couple of issues have been that good. Uh, I, j- but I, I really, I don't even know if I'm willing to give it a chance after Superboy leaves the title because I'm that disinterested right. in the Legion of Superheroes. But anyway, Adventure Comics number three. Is excellent, you know, definitely worth your money.
0: Don't oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm you know, uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. We'll be sad when Jeff Johns and Francis Manuel leave because I think it's really hit its stride. Absolutely, so big thumbs up there.
1: But that okay. was the only um, book that had a, a a Batman person guest appearance.
0: Yeah, the the, the hits keep coming.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so we're four Batman books, five Batman books, or well five Batman related books now. Uh, so number six is
0: booster gold. Number 25. Um, this, I, we talked about booster gold in the past, you know, booster gold is a time traveling story and, you know, usually guest stars, a, another superhero <laughs> at some point in their career, each book. And this one, uh, includes Batman and Robin from its current incarnation. Um, you don't read Booster, do you?
1: I do not. I started at the beginning, um, and unfortunately, even though I like the title, it kinda just got cut because of monetary reasons.
0: Yeah. Well, I I won't I won't uh spend too much time on this book, but to say this book continues every month to just be fun. Um it is one of those few titles out there that's just consistently fun, lighthearted, you know, that they deal with large subjects and things that are important, but it's you know, it's really at its heart. A fun book. Um, the co-feature in this book is written by Matt Sturgis, um, and it is a Blue Beetle story. Uh, the the uh, Jaime Reyes Reyes is that his last yes. name? Yes. Um, it deals with uh, with you know, the Blue Beetle, and you know, these Blue Beetle was canceled in its ongoing series, and so the character continues to develop in the co-features that are appearing in, in Booster Gold. And I mean he's telling these stories with like, you know, eight pages or so uh of being able to tell them and things are happening. You know, uh we, we made the compare, we made the, the comment earlier in the show that, you know, we had this uh green lantern core book where it just didn't seem like anything was really developing. Well, you know, every, every month in the uh, blue beetle co-feature, the character continues to develop, continues to move forward. Things are happening. And I, I find it, you know, kind of impressive that, he's constrained by how short the stories are, but yet he continues to make things happen. Uh, and again, I won't spoil anything in, in either one of these stories because they're both very good, but I gotta tell you, I'm looking forward to the, uh, blue beetle stories being collected in one place. Cause I am really kind of curious to see how they read back to back to back. <laughs> um, uh, I enjoyed all this. The art is good uh, all the way through. You've got uh, Dan Jurgens doing the art for the main feature. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Dan Juergens no, from no back in, back in his days uh, uh, in his Superman books back in the nineties. And then for the co-feature you have, uh, I'm flipping over there real quick. You have uh, Mike Norton on pencils with uh, Norm Rappamund and Mike Norton on inks. And you know, the, the, uh, Pages are, are, are very nicely illustrated, nicely colored, and still preserves that feeling that you had from the uh, Blue Beetle story. It's just, it's fun. I both, and, you know, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold team up very nicely as stories, not just because of the history that Ted Cord and uh, Booster Gold had, but it's just, they both have that same kind of tone. They're, they're fun books. There is one scene that I think is hysterical. I laughed out loud uh, in the Blue Beetle story. Um, his, the Jaime Reyes, who is the Blue Beetle, his little sister had been hurt in the in the context of the story. So everybody's in the hospital and she's on the mend. He goes down to the gift shop to buy her a present, <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, "You know they didn't have a Batgirl in the gift shop, so you have to settle for Booster Gold." And he gives her a Booster Gold action figure, and she's like, "Blech!" <laughs> He's like, "Well, sorry." <laughs> but she also she already had a Ted Cord Blue Beetle action figure. And she's like, "Oh well, I guess Ted will have to marry Booster Gold then." And then she puts both of the action figures together and they kiss. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean there's like there's like two panels of her having the the Booster Gold and the blue and the Ted Cord Blue Beetle making out. And it just cracks me up because, you know, those guys were such quintessential buddies for so long, and there was a lot of man love between the two of them. And I just, I, 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 that made me laugh out loud. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was Booster Gold number 25. Highly recommend it. You know, it's not the, the biggest, sexiest book that DC puts out every month, but it is certainly the funnest book it puts out every month.
1: Hmm. Hi, the, the, that's go. a, good recommend, a good commentary.
0: I think so too. I'm awesome.
1: Something like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what else did now, you read this week? Um uh, last month I read issue one of Galactica nineteen eighty, um, which was a recommendation from one of our listeners. And so and I had I had made the comment that the the book really surprised me, and at the very end of the book, um, they blew up the Galactica and it appeared that they killed uh Commander Adama. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is based off of the Galactica 1980 television show. It is not... The Galactica that we've seen on the Sci-Fi Channel recently. This is, you know, a much friendlier Galactica, a much brighter Galactica. Uh, Commander Adama is very much not just a paternal figure, but a religious figure in the story, and very goody-goody, yah-yah. Except in the depiction of him in the first issue, you saw that he was so depressed that he was about to kill himself when they when they stumble upon Earth. Yes. So Earth blows up Galactica at the end of issue one. Issue two picks up with the aftermath of that. And I'm just, I'll just shortcut my review and say they completely shied away from what really engaged me in the first issue. In the first <laughs> issue, it looked like they, blew, they, 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 they did blow up the Galactica, but it looked like Adama was dead. I mean, it looked, for all intents and purposes, he's dead. And I think, I think that was the story that I wanted to see. Well, he's not dead. Uh, And they were able to rescue him, yada, yada. And, you know, it all still looks very dark and bad. But I think that if you had the balls, see, we brought it back to test. (laughs) Um, If you if you have the guts to completely change the perception of what those stories were back in 1980 and make it a, you know, it is so dark because we've lost our leader. We've lost. We've lost our our moral compass. You know now how, how do we how do we handle things when things are just as terrible as they can possibly be? And they didn't do that. They said, "Oh no, he's not really dead." In issue two, and I'm just like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, this this book was not good. Um, the artwork is bad. The art was bad in the first issue. I was willing to forgive it. And when I say bad, it just looks simple the inks are muddy the colors are not uh particularly exciting the uh i think one of the comments i had made previously and and this is a an ongoing concern i have around science fiction comics or any comic that features like spaceships high-end technology that kind of thing you've really got to have somebody who can draw tight uh, technically, mm-hmm. you've got to have somebody who can really show the hard edge of a starship, really show uh, uh, these things looking sexy and whatnot as they're moving through space. You know, you've got to have those glory shots, and you don't get that with it with this uh, with this uh, artist. I think his name is Cesar Razek or Caesar Razek. Um, they're very muddy the there's a there's a nice big scene with all of the Cylon ships moving in and they're almost like impressions of Cylon ships. They're not really fully realized on the page. You know, so it's almost like you said, okay, we're gonna draft out what this page is going to look like. Here's a, here's here's a here's an idea of the layout. And it's just more like shapes than an actual fully detailed representation. Of those ships, and I think that's critically important to a science fiction story. That is one of the things that will pull me out of like reading a Star Trek title. Is if the guy can't draw the Enterprise, I'm really not interested in reading the book. Yeah, I mean, and I know that that's that. Oh, no, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. If you can't, the, the 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 technology is so important in a science fiction story that you've got to be able to represent it because otherwise you're going, well, that's not really the way the Galactica looks. That's not really the way a Viper looks you know and when i'm doing that i'm not into the story i'm not engaged you know one of the things that i like to do when i'm watching an episode of battlestar galactica is look at those space shots and go damn that's pretty yeah and you don't get to do that in the comic and they're really missing an opportunity there and they're letting their reader down you know uh for the for the price of the book you really should have hired an artist who could do those things
1: exactly and you know one thing that I've seen before and I haven't seen a lot at all in recent years is having two different artists. You have a space artist and yeah. a people artist. And I don't think, you know, we, that's, that's too much to ask for.
0: Well, you know, I used to draw a comic book back in high school and, uh, I, I, uh, was not then, nor am I now much of a technical illustrator, which means I, I don't draw airplanes and spaceships and whatnot very well, though, you know, I did a, a, a passable job for, uh, uh, Characters and scenery and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but I had a buddy he you know when it was time to draw the spaceship He came in and he drew the spaceship in there for me, you know Every time there was this I'm like, okay, Phil (laughs) We're having a big spaceship scene here. This is your page to draw. Okay, you know, and and that was exactly what we would do because technical illustration is a very different skill from character drawing, life drawing, etc. You know, th- there is a different set of talents and skills and not everybody has it and I get that. I but to your point, I think you hire a second artist to come in and draw those things. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, I read a couple of other books as well since uh, you know, I just realized we didn't talk about any Marvel this week.
0: I talked about Dark Avengers. Did briefly. Yeah, you did. You mentioned you mentioned that you're reading the collection. Yeah. So, so Alright. Yeah. So we can keep Jonathan off our back.
1: <laughs> but I did read some <laughs> Top Cow books this week. Um, I read Witchblade number 131 and The Darkness Pit number 2, which I think came out last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Witchblade 131 is written by Ron Mars, who I'm a huge fan of. That guy can write the hell out of a book. Uh, with art by yeah. S- Steven Sejic... I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, His first name is spelled S-T-J-E-P-A-N. So, (laughs) Stejepan? I'm going to go with Steven (laughs) Uh, Sejik. That's right. But this is the first issue after the big War of the Witchblade storyline. For those who have not been following Witchblade, um, for the past, uh, I don't know, 50 issues maybe? Maybe forty. Uh, the Witchblade has been either with a new host, uh, a young blonde girl named Danny, or split between Danny and the original bearer of the Witchblade, who is Sarah Pizzini, who's probably who everyone's most familiar with from the Michael Turner Witchblade days in the TV show, which she's the brunette, the cop who has the Witchblade. Uh, the Witchblade, ima- the Witchblade, almost, uh, almost imagine it like a Green Lantern ring. Um, in that it's a construct okay. that um, is kind of like half angel, half demon, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. That you can control, and it can create constructs and do whatever you want it to do. But it mostly manifests itself as a suit of sexually suggestive armor. <laughs> um, so you know, there was this big issue, this big six-issue miniseries called War of the Witchblades in which Sarah went bad, Um, there was a a big battle over who would be the ultimate bearer of the Witchblade between her and Danny, and ultimately it ended up being Sarah. Um, So, this is the first issue following that, and, you know, if you're not following Witchblade, it's actually pretty easy to pick up on. There's a big, there's a summary in the first page of every issue um, that kind of brings you to this point, and this might be a decent jumping-on point. I think You know, Witchblade is probably one of the best books on the market. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, This uh, Steven guy, Steppen uh, guy, he he does uh, computer painting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he puts out a fully painted book every month. I mean, the book is never late. And not only that, he's doing two titles uh, later on this year. He's doing another miniseries simultaneously with with The Witchblade. So, and wow. the guy gets his books out on time, and they are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, some really breathtaking art. Uh, I mean, some panels almost look like real people. I mean, like you're looking at a photograph. It's that good. Um, highly recommend witchblade. You know, if you've been out of the title or you're not really big on the top cow thing because you assume it means you know what 90s books meant, you know, bad stories, <laughs> big boobs, that kind of thing, pick up witchblade. Uh, I think you'll I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And this issue of witchblade actually includes part of a prelude to Image United, which is the big Robert Kirkman storyline uh with all the original Image founders that starts up next month, I think. Hmm. Uh, so Witchblade 131 highly recommended Excellent. but even higher recommendation in case you didn't pick up issue 1 after I spoke about it last time is Paul Jenkins and Dale Keown's Darkness Pit which is the crossover between the Darkness character created by Mark Silvestri and um, Garth Ennis and Pit who was created by Dale Keown Um, again we're dealing with an alien virus that turns both people and aliens into zombies um And the book is the best art I've seen in a long time. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about good art this entire show. Yeah. Red, I'm in Adventure Comics. Uh, I was just talking about Witchblade. This is better than all of those put together. Dale Keown can draw the hell out of a book, and this book is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely fantastic to look at. Um, You know, there's a scene with the zombies and one of the alien zombies – that's just, it's just awesome. You know, it's, it's gory, you have people with eyeballs hanging out, you have a woman who's has a hole in her head you can see through. And it's just a breathtaking two-page spread. Uh, it, it's scary, and it's creepy. And, you know, The Darkness Pit, if you're not picking this book up, it's only a three-issue series. If you're not familiar with either character, don't worry about it. You'll get familiar with them. There's the characterization in this book um, from Paul Jenkins is good enough that even if you know nothing about either character you'll know who they are after picking up the book so really absolutely pick this book up in fact you can read issue one for free online i think on comicsology dot com uh that's the the people we do our weekly poll list with um it's c o m i x o l o g y dot com yeah they have the first issue for free, and I think you can even get it on your um, iPod or your, uh, oh. you know, your iPhone. I think it's available for, you know, for free download to your iPhone, which actually may be even better because you can look at each stunning panel of art. Um, yeah. So, highly recommend, highest possible recommendation for the Darkness Pit. I am eagerly anticipating issue number three, um, which is due out in the next couple of weeks. I think the next two weeks, actually. So you know. So
0: you highly recommended Witchblade. Yep. And then you you, you, you you turned it up to 11 and gave your highest possible recommendation to uh, Darkness Pit. Yeah, it's like infinity plus one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. All right, then. Well, we got an email just this morning uh, from a listener, and his name is Neil. Hi, Neil. And, and uh, he said, hey, I'm trying to encourage my wife, who is the head of programming for our public library, and does the ordering for fiction to have, and he wrote free RPG day, but I think he meant free comic book day in our library. She said that she wasn't sure what the collection of graphic novels was like in our library. So I was trying to get in touch with you and you and Paul, uh, to get an idea of what are some good entry level graphic novels to get for both younger audiences and adults. Thank you for your time. You guys are awesome. Aaron's my favorite that Paul guy lifts right out. Sincerely, Neil Dalton. <laughs> <coughs> Well, I I, and he didn't actually write that, but I was reading between the lines, Paul. Yeah, it's all hinted Um, (laughs) at.
1: He's like, uh, Funny
0: books with Aaron. (laughs) Uh, um, We talked a little bit about some of our favorite trade paperbacks uh, back in our August 20th episode, and we listed, you know, six trades. That we thought are particularly of high quality and and really are kind of must haves on your uh, bookshelf, and those were mouse m a u s invincible identity crisis, danger girl, the complete concrete, and the complete bone and uh, you can go and listen to that on our podcast, but you know it's it's really kind of a Paul and I were just thinking about you know what were the what were the things that you have to have on your own personal bookshelf, yes. But it's kind of a different question that Neil is asking. What should you have in your library? Um, And so that's where I want to answer that and say, you know, I think that those six are nice, but I don't think it's necessarily the same pull. I do think that there's some overlap. I think mouse is a must have.
1: Yes, I think mouse and bone are both must haves.
0: Yeah. Um, I also think that uh, Invincible is a must have. Um, but I think if you're gonna have invincible you first i I, I would recommend uh, ultimate spider-man yes because I do think that's a good entry level book for younger readers um you know it's not a what I would call a kitty book but I think that it's it, it, it appeals very well to a younger reader uh, do do you agree with that comment Paul
1: absolutely absolutely um, in fact I um, think that is probably a good gateway title for younger readers um yeah maybe not as good as bone but you know that's a great title to get kids into comics.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, I would also recommend, uh, and, and kind of for the same reason, uh, the new Blue Beetle. Um, you know, the the that entire series is uh, you know recently uh, written by Matt Sturgis, originally written by Keith Giffen. That whole series is you know in trade now. And has a very similar feel to some of the best Spider Man books. You know, teenage guy with real problems, uh, in situations that are way over his head. Um, I, there, there is a, a certain aspect of that. Plus, they're a lot of fun. And I think they are, they are good for younger readers. But you can't forget, The older reader. And this is one of the things that drives me crazy about my own public library is that all of the graphic novels are in the young reader fiction section. Mm. And Mouse, M A U S, is not (laughs) what I would call a child friendly book. Now, it's not pornography, but it's talking about the Holocaust. You know, it's talking about you know the 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 mass murder of an entire you know ethnic uh, race of people. Um, I don't think that's what I would characterize as youth fiction. Um, I I think Watchmen is an important book. I think that I think that is probably one of the most important graphic novels to have. Yes, uh, because it changed so much in terms of the way we enjoy our graphic fiction. Um, Um,
1: You know, I think as well. You know a couple of uh, sticking with the adults, and then we'll jump back a little bit to the younger readers because I have a couple of good uh, younger readers' titles, you know, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. those come in nice chunky hardcover books, right readily available. Um, in fact, you know I think you know they have you know books that collect 24 issues at a time. Great books to have in your library, I think
0: yeah you know and 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 as we've discussed, people who don't read comics enjoy The Walking Dead. Yes, you know it's got a lot of crossover appeal, um, I, and it, you know it is it is a critically acclaimed book. You know fans love it, reviewers love it. I don't think you can go wrong with The Walking Dead.
1: Yeah, um, you know of course The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know one, but not but not the uh, not the the, uh, the Dark Knight
1: Strikes Again.
0: Yeah, not that one. Forget that one. Yeah, um, <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> you know the
1: new frontier from DC Comics.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, one that that will appeal to both younger readers and more in the middle grade set. Uh, in middle grade being, you know, uh, kind of ten and up, roughly, um, and adults is Mouse Guard.
0: Yeah, I, Mouse Guard was on my list. I think that I think that, uh, I think that actually is kind of an all age book because I think that little kids will enjoy the pictures. Um, older kids will enjoy the adventure. And I think that, you know, uh, uh adults, you know, like myself enjoy the, the web of, of, uh, of, of background and almost mythology that those books, you know, are, 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 spinning. I mean, I just think that appeals to everybody. I, I can't think of an age demographic that that book doesn't appeal to.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, for younger readers, um, I've talked about these on the site, Ideology of Madness, uh, quite a bit, uh, and I feel like every library needs a copy of Jellaby, that's J-E-L-L-A-B-Y, by Keen Sue. It's like, it's, it's, imagine Calvin and Hobbes, except that it was very obvious that Hobbes was real. Imagine Hobbes was not a figment of Calvin's imagination, that Hobbes was real. And Hobbes... Had was lost from home, and Calvin needed to take him home, and that's Jellaby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a very Calvin and Hobbes, very ET feel. One of the best young readers' books on the market, absolutely. I feel every library needs to have Jellaby and Flight Explorer, which is um, has a Jellaby story, and it has a missile Mouse story from Jake Parker. Um, mm-hmm. And I think missile Mouse, I think he's going to be a hit with the kids because his book comes out in January. And, uh, you know, it's it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. we talked to him on the site. Um, I, I think that both of those books absolutely will be a hit with kids. Um, especially, you know, once, you know, if you have a couple of copies, you have some place kids can see, they have pretty covers, they're very striking, beautiful art. I think kids are going to be drawn to titles like those. Uh, that, and, you know, we want them drawn to stuff like that, um, you know, that's well-written, uh, you know, that has good... You know, good storylines, good characterization. You know, than some of the other crap that's out there on the market.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, there's there really are a lot of just fantastic uh, books for your library. Um, I think that if I was just starting off, you know, I'd be kind of looking for staples. Mm-hmm. You know, things that that are are are, are kind of standalone uh, stories. So I wouldn't be looking to get like the entire run of. Of Justice League or something. Yeah. I'd be looking to, you know, your mouse, your identity crisis, because even though that involves a bunch of different superheroes from an ongoing continuity, it is a self-contained story. And it, it, it not only is it a, an important story to that universe, it's also a story that uh, is just good on its own and does a really fine job of bringing readers in uh, without having to know who those guys are. You know, I mean, we've talked about several times that you know Paul didn't know who Sue, Sue Dibney was uh, when he started reading the book, but still cared about what happened to her by the end of the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, there are, there's so much good stuff out there. You know, for adult readers, you know, preacher is a good is a, you know, but mm-hmm. definitely for mature readers only. Right. Um, you know, and those are self-contained storylines. You can get all ten or twelve books, and someone can read the entire storyline. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, like uh, my local library has a lot of the New Avengers trades, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't recommend starting there. Um, You know, I recommend starting with you know these books that tell the full storyline, and you know that's or you know a couple of books tells the full storyline, rather than getting to something that has so many years of continuity.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think that's my biggest recommendation for you know the library that's just starting off. Now, don't get me wrong. I love that my library has many volumes of different titles, like of, you know, the ultimates and, you know, ultimate X-Men and ultimate Spider-Man and all of those books. And there's many, many of those. Those are great. Yes. But it's also great that they have crisis on the infinite earths, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's boom, there it is in one volume. It's also great that they've got the Watchmen and, you know, the dark Knight returns and, and those kinds of stories. Um, So that's what I would be looking for: is as as much as you can get those standalones, because I I think that's what's going to be important for your uh, library patron to to feel like this was a valuable investment for the library.
1: And you know, uh, one another book that may be a good investment, and it's not one that I read nor Aaron reads, but my wife reads: um, the Anita Blake. Hardcovers from Marvel Comics. Um, Anita yeah. Blake is a very popular character in fiction, um, from art, uh, from writer Laurel K. Hamilton. You know, she's a I guess a vampire hunting police detective or something like that. Um, you know, and Marvel picked up the rights to produce her stories in comic book format, and uh, you know they sell well. But I think they would do stellar in a library. You know, for you know the the, the fans of Laurel K. Hamilton that may get her books from the library. Or you know, you know may not be familiar with the fact that she has a comic book out there. You know, having that out there near the Laurel K. Hamilton books, you know, I think would draw a lot of uh, a lot of attention. So you know, Mm -hmm. I I would recommend those as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, and and back to our earlier comment that uh, you really can't go wrong with The Walking Dead. You know, the uh, AMC cable channel is about to have a Walking Dead television show. So that's also a nice tie-in, you know, to to have that title. Um, I'd also look at, you know, uh, those things. You know, libraries are very interested in bringing people in and – you know, you might look at what's the next big movie coming out. Well, you know, Iron Man 2 is going to be coming out. So, you know, maybe you want to pick up one of the Armor War uh, uh, trade paperbacks or uh, something with Iron Man in it. Yeah. You know, just to, to kind of jazz those readers. But anyway, I think we've kind of given you a, a good starting point on, on those collections. And, you know, if you need more, uh, more uh, suggestions, let us know. We'll be hap- we're, Paul and I are full of suggestions.
1: We are full of plenty of things.
0: <laughs> almost as full as our website is with contests.
1: Yes, um, two contests going simultaneously right now. That's how much we like giving crap away. Um, <laughs> right now we've got our our bigger contest is giving away a copy of the new Star Wars novel called Death Troopers, which is basically zombies in the Star Wars universe. Um, it is very violent, you know, so I wouldn't recommend, you know, little Johnny, who likes the Star Wars movies and likes Clone Wars, don't buy him a copy of Death Troopers. Um, It is very much an adult title, very much out of character for something you're familiar with reading in the Star Wars universe. Um, We're giving away a copy of that. And we are also giving away a signed copy of Wolverine Weapon X Number 1 from writer Jason Aaron. Uh, And, you know, there's plenty of more contests coming up. I'm looking at some oh, of the yeah. recent purchases I've made that are still in their shrink wrap that I will probably never read. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think there will be more coming, uh, coming your way at ideologyofmadness.com.
0: And little teaser here. I would not be surprised to see that we don't have some kind of Star Trek giveaway when the DVD comes out next month. Ah, indeed. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. So, and uh, I talked to uh, to uh, a a uh, someone who is going to be some prize support for us, and I can't reveal the details yet, but I can tell you we've got at least uh, one more contest coming up within the next week to ten days. Wow! That that I think you'll find here's a clue. Refreshing.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Um, You know, one thing that we do want to also uh, recommend, you know, check definitely, you know, there's been tons of content this week on ideologyofmandates.com. There will be tons more next week, uh, including an interview we conducted this weekend. Uh, Do you want to speak a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, we interviewed uh, Jeff Gerber. He is a comic book lawyer. And we talked to him a lot about, uh, you know, the uh, Gaiman versus uh, Todd McFarlane lawsuit, as well as developments in the uh, Superman lawsuit that we talked a little bit about our podcast, talked a little bit in our podcast this summer. So it, we uh, talked for a good hour or so on uh, comic book law, and uh, that's going to drop on Wednesday. So if you're listening to this either Monday or Tuesday, uh, on Wednesday, that's going to drop. So uh, be sure and come back and listen to that because uh, Jeff is fascinating uh, in his, his knowledge of comic book law and in intellectual property law. So yeah. if you're a creator yourself, he's got some tips on uh, how to protect yourself.
1: Yeah, in fact, I would venture to say if you are a creator, you know, if you've created some characters, if you're working on an independent comic book and you're trying to figure out how to make it um, into, you know, so in into either self-publishing or trying to get your character published through a bigger company or your story published through a bigger company you need to listen to this podcast there's some yeah. there's some great knowledge that is here and while it's not formal legal advice um there's there's some great stuff that really you need to consider before you start sending out those those manuscripts and those um you know, it's not just for comics, you know. I would venture to say if you're a, a novelist as well, you know, some things to think about with any of your original intellectual properties.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, yeah. Basically, point is, our site is the greatest site on Earth. Ideology That's right. of we, are s- com.
0: we are sick with crunchy goodness. So uh,
1: <laughs> We are dipped so, yeah. in awesome sauce and rolled around in awesome something. <laughs> Metaphors.
0: Metaphors. Awesome metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Paul, you you have a good weekend. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. What? All right, then.
1: Bye, everybody. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Bye.